Um, I've come to encourage you to um, follow Jesus Christ in water baptism. So, as a portable church, we have a portable baptistry right here. Um, some people think it's a horse trough, but uh, it's actually a baptistry. And um, it's taking front center stage right now, and actually it's heating up. So that, that's why those little cords are in there, warming it up. Um, it was, oh man, that's actually lukewarm, so we're getting there. That's good. Um, and, and the purpose of today, the purpose of today is to... Um, is to bring about really a change. Um, many of us have been making decisions for Christ. Many of us have been raising hands. Over the past year, um, we've been a church for a little over a year, and we've had over 250 people make decisions to follow Jesus, and um, we've had about 10% of them make decisions to be water baptized. And so that's great, because we've never been able to have an actual baptistry in the church before. At the theater, we weren't allowed that. And so right after Easter, our very second Sunday here in the school, I said, let's get a baptistry here, and let's just baptize everybody who wants to be baptized. And so um, if you came ready to be baptized, I'm going to instruct you at the end of service how, where to go. And um, if you didn't come ready, we're actually ready for you. I'm going to have Emilio come up here in a minute and share with you how ready uh, we, are, we are for you. But um, uh, the point of the message, this is the final uh, message in our sermon series called Risen, um, Three Stories of Life After Death. And uh, we're going to be looking at some of those stories. But really to, to begin, I would just like to start in Genesis. If we could bring up the slide from Genesis chapter 1. We're going to read from Genesis chapter 1, uh, verse 1. We're going to read the first few verses. And maybe you've never read um, the creation account, as it is called, um, in this way. But I want to I bring us back to the beginning just for a minute. Um, before you can talk about what God has planned for your life, you have to understand the trajectory of your life. And so last week we talked a lot about leaven um, as, as being a, a type and a shadow of sin. And it helps us understand why we need Christ's resurrection. And so now I want to explain to you why you need to be baptized. Uh, why I believe that it is essential for every believer, everybody who calls themselves a believer in Christ, to be baptized. Not only um, were all of the original disciples baptized, but all of the early church. This was a, a, a foundational piece of their ministry. And so, in fact, when Roe visited, where did you where did you go? To, was it Corinth that you visited? Um, yeah, yeah, they're, they're, they're in, in Ephesus, which, which we have a letter to the Ephesian church. Roe visited an underground church in Ephesus, and um, basically it was all, it was from around the time of the early church, around the first century, and it was, um, they had these stools basically carved out of mud, out of dirt, stools for people to sit in, kind of like you all are sitting right there, um, and a place for the speaker to, to preach, because we've been having preaching since the beginning, come on somebody. Okay, fine. I'm excited about that. You guys might be kind of bummed about that, but it is what it is. So we're just going to follow tradition. So we've been having preaching. We've been having folks sitting in rows like this. And there was this, there was this, there was this kind of table sort of carved out of mud that was for the, for the sacraments. That's for taking communion. And then there was dug out. There was basically a baptistry dug out. These are, these, are, these are the three main things that, church, that the church of Jesus Christ has had since the beginning. We've had preaching. It's a good time to shout amen right there, but okay, fine, whatever. Uh, <laughs> okay, so we had the first really good one, and then, and we've, then we've had communion. We've been, we've been breaking bread and drinking wine together for the past 2,000 years. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah, Rick. Oh, come on, somebody. Oh, that's what I'm talking about. I've got to say, come on, somebody, more, a little more often. That's what happens. Okay, and then, and then we've had baptism. 
We've had baptism. And, and really, the modern-day church, we do a really good job of preaching. We do a pretty good job of communion. But we don't often focus on this aspect, this aspect of being dunked in water. And I think to some extent, because it's somewhat, it seems somewhat abstract. It seems kind of out there. Like, how how does this help with my faith, right? How does, how does getting dunked and baptized help with my faith? Well, that's what I want to tell you today. And that's what I really hope that you'll open up your mind and your heart, even if you didn't come ready, even if you're concerned about your makeup running. I want you to... to be open to the fact that maybe God is calling you to be baptized today. Uh, And it starts in Genesis chapter 1. It says uh, that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth uh, was without form and void, and darkness was across uh, the face of the deep, and uh, the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, in 2 Peter chapter 3, he, he, he relates this to baptism. But it's important that you know, in the beginning, there was basically the earth covered in water. There was just water. And so here it is, the water, and the Holy Spirit is hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness... In our brain, we can't even fathom that because light right now has always been divided from darkness. But God had to divide that. God divided the light from the darkness, called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. On to verse 6. Then God said, this is the second day, then God said, let there be a firmament. That word firmament means an expanse or a space. Let there be a, a space in the middle of the waters. <laughs> And let it divide the waters from the waters. What in the world? Verse 7. Thus God made the firmament, the division, the space. And he divided waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called, look at this, God called the space, the firmament, he called heaven. So the evening and the morning were the second day. Now the rest of creation moves from this from this space. Everything else that God creates, God creates in this place that he called heaven, in this space. The space from the lower water, what we would call the ocean, the seas, the rivers, the water that we, that we swim in and, and kayak in down Lake Travis. Come on, somebody. Uh, that, that water, there's, that's the lower water. And then there is an upper water. And the space between those two waters includes the sun, the moon, the stars, um, the animals, the trees, the, the plants, the insects, and most of all, on the sixth day, he creates man. He puts man in that space. Everything that God made is in this space that he calls heaven. It's interesting because in our current concept of heaven, we think heaven is like somewhere way out there, like super outer space, right? Like back in the 50s when, when the Russians sent uh, uh, Sputnik, remember Sputnik, the round spherical thing with points on it and, it and it actually orbited the earth for the first time mankind recorded an orbit of the earth and uh russia of course was notori- notoriously atheistic and they printed in their newspaper they said we've gone up and and we've proven that there is no god because we've circled the earth we've looked everywhere and we can't find him and all the christian theologians you know said well thank god you didn't find him because if he's just located in this particular like geographical location, then we've got everything all wrong. Because according to Scripture, heaven is not somewhere off in the distant, fathom, deepest, darkest places of space. Heaven is the space between the ground and the upper waters, wherever that is. Basically, right now, we are standing in what should be heaven. We're breathing in what should be heaven. 
And this is why whenever our kids ask us about heaven, I always tell them, well, uh, you know, they, they say, where is heaven? And um, various religions have developed various ideas about where this, this, this place is. Uh, uh, the, the one that sticks out to me right now is uh, Mormonism. Mormonism believes that, 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 that Jehovah lives on this planet, an actual planet, near a planet called Kolob. Of course, they, don't, they have no idea where Kolob is, but that's just how Joseph Smith rolled. He just he made up words and then said, he's out there somewhere. And so, he, Jesus, Jesus, like Jehovah lives in this planet near Kolob, and so we don't know where Kolob is, but he's near it. And, and that's where he is. There's a geographical destination. Somehow, maybe someday someone will actually fly to this place and, and find him. Like, he, he's, he's out there somewhere. But, but, but in, in the Christian tradition, we, we don't believe that heaven is out there somewhere. We believe instead that heaven is here. It's just hidden. That's why oftentimes when Scripture speaks of the coming of Jesus, it really talks about the, the appearing or the revelation or the manifestation of Jesus. So that he's already present. He's not off somewhere in some space trans distance out there. But he's actually here. He's just hidden from us in his full form. We don't see him. All the time. We don't, angels are all around us. We just don't see them. Demons are all around. We don't see them. It's, it's, it's a different dimension. It's, 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 it's still here. It's within this place, but it's not very visible to us. And the reason why it's not very visible to us is because of what happened in Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, you have Adam and Eve, and they decided to sin. They decided to rebel against God. Now, they used to hang out with God. God would, God would walk with them in the cool of the day, like in all of His glory, would just hang out with them. And they would, would have perfect fellowship with each other. They had perfect fellowship with God. And, and then they sinned. And so that sin fractured. It brought, it brought a, a, a distinction between heaven and earth. Prior to that, there was was no distinction. You had earth and then immediate the space between earth and wherever the upper waters are, that's heaven. And that's where all the angels dwell. That's where all the, the I mean, that, 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 that's heaven. That is where God dwells. And yet when sin happened, suddenly the earth became cursed and God cursed the ground and God cursed the process of, of labor and birth. And, and God even cursed the ground so that then now we have to work for a living. And that's, that's what he told Adam. From now on, you're going to have to work in order to get food out of the ground. Apparently beforehand, like the, the, the ground just produced food. We also read that, that new plants started growing, thorns and thistles and things like that. We also read that animals began turning against each other. And this is so weird to us because this is just normal now. We grew up, we were born in this law of sin and death, which is the law that was insti instituted after sin. We, we've grown up in a dog-eat-dog -dog world. We've grown up in, 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 in the strong praise on the weak. That's just the way that it is, from, from the insects in your garden to the lion you know, on, 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 on the geography channel. I mean, that's it's just the way that it works to governments, to, to, to the ones with the most weapons, make the most rules. And this is, this is the way our society works because we are living in a heavenless world. We are living in a cursed earth. There's now a division between heaven and earth. There's now this, this division. We don't see God walking with us in the cool of the day. We don't, we don't, we don't see angels. We, occasionally we, we catch visions of them and glimpses of them. But, 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 but it's mostly hidden from our sight and from our eyes. And we're, in a way, we're dead to that world. Which is what God told Adam would happen. In the day that you eat of it, you will die. Uh, and on the one hand, God gave him mercy that he didn't kill him physically. But on the other hand, there was this death to heaven. And there was this now this separation between heaven and earth. Does that make sense? 
Does that, does, that, does that resonate with you? Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, this is, this is the world we've been brought up in, but it's nothing like heaven. And so when we read, like, for instance, Isaiah chapter 11, um, uh, he talks about the time after the Messiah. He talks about a time when the lion will lay down with the lamb, when the lion will no longer eat flesh, but will eat grass. It's, it's, very, it's very, very interesting. The exact same stuff of earth, just acting very differently. Acting very differently, acting more heavenly. And so the, the child will stick his hand in, in the hole of the snake and the snake won't bite them. Because, because heaven will invade earth, heaven will take over earth, and heaven and earth will come back together again. And that is the hope. That is the hope of Jesus Christ's resurrection. That he's bringing, he's reconciling, scripture says, he's reconciling all things. That's all things, visible and invisible. He's reconciling all things right now. In fact, all, all of creation, the Bible says, groans and waits for the, with eager expectation for the manifestation of the sons of God. So all of creation just can't wait to get to that point when heaven and earth come back together. And they are finally reunited and, and the law of sin and death is broken and it's no more the strong against the weak. It is now peace and joy and, 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 and happiness. And, and it's, it's all the things that we read about in the book of Revelation and, and in much of Isaiah's pro- prophecies. It's, it's what, what we're looking forward to. But at the same time, it's what Jesus died for. That's why Jesus died on the sixth day of the week because man was created on the sixth day of the week. And so Jesus was dying to what man had done. Jesus was, was crucifying what man had started. Man had started the law of sin and death, and Jesus was, was killing that. In fact, uh, he was crucified on a hill called Golgotha, which is the hill of the skull. And uh, that, that's what Golgotha means. It means skull. And um, in the, uh, the, the ancients in that time called it the hill of the skull. And many have wondered why they called it the hill of the skull. One theory is that it looks kind of like it's in the shape of a skull, which is kind of interesting. Um, but uh, another theory is that the Jews believed, and, and some, many to the still this day still do believe that the, that on that hill is where Adam's head was buried that they had that his great ancestors had found his head had kept his bones and had buried his head on that hill and I just think it's interesting that Jesus was crucified on the place where the Jews believed that Adam's head was buried because that's exactly what Jesus was doing he was killing what Adam had started he was killing this division between heaven and earth and he was his blood was going to create a brand new connection between heaven and earth and bring heaven and earth together and that's what we need and that connection that connection comes from putting our faith in Jesus and beginning to walk with Jesus and allowing ourselves our, our flesh to be crucified with Jesus buried with Jesus and raised to life with Jesus and another word for that is baptism Baptism has been for centuries the visual representation of what ought to be beginning to happen in your spirit. And it's not just a visual thing, it's also a spiritual thing that's happening. And so if you've come ready to be baptized today, um, I'm, I'm going to give you a moment here in just a minute um, to, to, to go get ready. And our, our restrooms are right over there. But in the meantime, if Emilio could come on up. Um, I don't know if Emilio's got some, some things. Hey, there you are. Um, how, how about you tell us, you got a black shirt on, I can't see it. Uh, the hat and everything. Uh, how about you let, us, let, let everybody know what, what we have ready for them and just instruct them a little bit. And then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach my final point. Hey, thanks. It's going great, by the way. Killing it. Okay, so if you, if you came uh, planning to get baptized uh, here in a little bit, 
after our final point, Pastor Harry's going to dismiss people. We're going to want to exit these doors over here. Uh, right outside these doors are our restrooms. There's also our baptism table. Um, you can head that way and get changed and do what, what you need to do to get ready to get baptized. But if you came today not prepared to get baptized, and you kind of want to get baptized now, or between the time I'm done talking, and when we dismiss for baptism, you kind of say, hey, uh, I want to I get baptized. If maybe your legs are shaking a little bit and your mind's racing, maybe your heart's pounding, you're like, hey, I think this is for me. Um, then we have everything you need to get baptized. And when I say everything, I mean everything. We have shorts for you. We have towels. We have hair ties. We have uh, T-shirts. We have extra T-shirts. We have uh, hygiene products. We have hygiene products. We have hygiene products. That's great. Um, but no, really, everything that you need to get baptized, we have. And we have warm water. Is it warm? Yeah, we're getting there. We're, it's warm. So you don't have to worry about that. Uh, water's going to be warm. And uh, yeah, there's just no time like the present. There's no time like right now to, to make this decision to publicly do this. So um, I'll be there, and others will be helping uh, facilitate you, not change you. We don't do that. But I'll be over there, and we're going to get you squared away, whether you came plan or whether you're not. You feel like you're not, we can get you there. So, yeah, we're, we're super ready. Awesome. Yeah. Did I mention we have feminine hygiene products? Yes. Okay. Awesome. Yeah, but all that is for afterwards. We have hair ties and hairspray and stuff for you to get dolled up and fixed up and everything and hair brushes and stuff um, afterward. But in the meantime, we do have free um, T-shirts for you to keep and wear. Um, and then a change of shorts. Also, underwear. Um, we have some fresh underwear for you. Um, we've, we've really tried to think of just about everything um, that we can. I guess Emilio didn't want to actually show it to you, but that's cool. That's, that's fine. Um, but um, no, let's, let's, let's turn to, uh, we're going we're to put up on the screen here a passage from Acts. We're going to look at Acts chapter 9, um, verse 1. We're going to look at the baptism of one of the key leaders in the Christian church, the early, the early church, a guy by the name of Paul, um, who was, his name used to be Saul. And this is his story. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Now, Saul was a, was a Pharisee. Saul um, believed in Jehovah. He did not believe in Jesus. He did not believe in th- that he was the Christ. And so he was out to get all of Jesus' disciples. And he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to, to take to the synagogue in, the, in Damascus so that if he found anyone there who belonged to the way or belong to Jesus, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground, heard a voice to him saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. That's interesting. He doesn't know who Jesus is, but he knew, he recognized the, the deity of this, of this person. He says, who are you, Lord? And Jesus said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting he replied he says now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do so verse 7 says the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless they heard the sound but didn't see anyone Saul got up from the ground but when he opened his eyes he could see nothing so they led him by the hand into Damascus for three days he was blind that's kind of symbolic of death uh, of Jesus three days he was blind And he didn't eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. And the Lord called to Ananias in a vision and said, Ananias. And he said, yes, Lord. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. Verse 12 says that in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming and placing his hands on him and restoring his sight. And Ananias says, Lord... 
I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. In other words, no way. <laughs> uh, this, this is a bad dude. Like, no, I'm not. I'm not. Uh, I think you got the wrong Saul. Not the one from Tarsus, the one from Tarshish, maybe. I don't know. But, but the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And Ananias, of course, went. And I think we have, do we have another scripture there? I guess I don't have it here. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me to you so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. Then he got up and was baptized. After taking some food, he regained his strength. And so that's what I want to talk to you just, just briefly is um, really what is, what is stopping you from being baptized. We see here in Saul's story that immediately as soon as the scales fell from his eyes, as soon as he received his sight, regained his sight, that he was baptized right away, and then he received his strength. So interesting, because one of the, one of the reasons I think that we hold back uh, from, from baptism is very much like Ananias. Ananias says, um, Jesus, uh, uh, Saul has quite a history. Saul has quite a past. And I don't think he's ready uh, to be baptized. I mean, I get that he had this great encounter with you, and that was nice, but it could just be emotionalism. It could, we'll, we'll wait until the, the, the blindness wears off, and then we'll see. Like, once he can see who to arrest, he might start arresting people again. You know, I mean, the fact that he's blind, this is kind of affecting. But Saul has this, this long history of persecuting the church. Ever since the church started to rise in prominence and people started believing in Jesus, Saul has been against that. And Ananias looks at Saul's past and he says, because of Saul's past, I don't think he's ready to be baptized. Oftentimes our past gets in our way of what God has for us in the present. We cling on to our past. We believe the lie of Ananias, we believe the lie of the of our accuser who wants to look at us and say, "Well, that's that's good that you've had this experience with Jesus. That's nice that you've that you've that you've met him and that you've decided to follow him. That's great and all, but let's just see. Let's wait and see how it if it if it, if it takes, you know, because you've tried other stuff before too. But your past, yeah, is kind of proven that you're not really able to stick with stuff very well. So I don't think you should get baptized yet because because you might mess it up." I, I had somebody tell me that one time that they had, they, they, they had put off being baptized for so long because, as they said, they didn't want to waste the water. <laughs> they didn't want to waste the water because they knew themselves, right? They knew that they, that they would go back to what they had always come from. They would just go back. They, they just knew. They had tried time and time again. And they didn't want to waste, like, God's blood, Jesus' blood. They didn't want to waste the anointing. They didn't, want to, they didn't want to waste God's time or the church's time. They didn't want to do it until they were absolutely sure, until their past had been sort of cleared up. But what's, what's with the, the way that God or Jesus deals with this, what God says to Ananias, he doesn't say, look, Ananias, this time it's for real. <laughs> he doesn't say, look, Ananias, like, no, like this, this time it's like he, he felt it, you know. He got goosebumps this time, right? I mean, this is, this is the real deal. No, he doesn't say that. 
God speaks to what Ananias is concerned about. Ananias is concerned about Saul's past. So Saul says, so God says, okay, you want to talk about his past? Let me tell you about his past. I have chosen him. Huh. See, this is, this, is what, this is what you didn't know. You have, two, you have two versions of your past. You have the past that is sort of in this side of the water. And then you have your past that is in the higher levels of the water. There is a, a, a past decision that God has made that you might not even have known about. That you, you, you came into City Chapel, you made a, dis, a decision for Jesus. That's what we call them every single week. We give people opportunities to make decisions for Jesus. And if you, if you, if you, you, you don't, don't, don't mistake that language. When you make a decision for Jesus, you are not the first person to make that decision. In fact, you're not even making the decision because you woke up one day and decided to make a decision. When you make a decision for Jesus, it's because Jesus has already made a decision about you. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says no man comes to, to God unless the Spirit draws him. So you didn't just show up. You didn't just wander in. You didn't just stumble across. And, and you th- all the reasons that you think that you came and you made that decision, all of those reasons are just, are just superfluous reasons around the most important reason that God chose you. That he had his eye on you, even when you were running, even when you were sinning, even when you were hurting others, even when you were hurting yourself. It did not change God's opinion of you. All of Saul's junk, all of his murderous threats, even the people that he did murder, God never changed his mind about Saul. God saw what Saul was doing. He saw where Saul was going, but he didn't change his decision. He said, I've still chosen him. I've still chosen him. I've still chosen him. And when Jesus broke in on the scene of Saul's life, that wasn't the first time Jesus met Saul. That wasn't the first time Jesus was like, hey, I think we ought to save this guy. No, no. It was the perfect time. He had been watching ever since his birth, and he inserted himself in his story at just the perfect time. He says, Ananias, you need to understand, his past is, yeah, it's ugly as far as what you've been able to see. But there is a past that I have decided long ago. I chose to use Saul. And I believe that if you're here today and if you've made a decision to follow Jesus, it's because God made a decision to pursue you. <laughs> and, and so whatever past you might have, think back to every, the worst thing and the worst time, and God still chose to pursue you. You are not somebody who just now found God. <laughs> you are not somebody who just now, re- oh, 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 here's God. Yeah, yeah, you're just now re-realizing that. But he's been there all along. And if he was able to pursue you through all of your past, doesn't it stand to reason that now is the time to completely give yourself to him? I mean, if he's, if, he's, if he's pursuing you through all that stuff, now that you finally realize that he's there, now that you finally decide to follow him, isn't it time to say, hey, you know what, I, I, think, I think God is able to deal with my past. Anyway, I think he's powerful enough for that. The other reason uh, that we often hold back is, 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 like, is like with Saul. I mean, he's, he's blind, his blinders come off. And, um, and, and then Ananias tells him to get up. And get baptized. You get up and get baptized. You don't have to get right before you get up. <laughs> you, don't, you don't have to get ready before you get up. You don't have to pray about it and think about it and wonder about it and go fast for a week as to whether or not you should get up and be baptized. 
One of the greatest lies is that, well, you, you really, you, this is a big decision. You really need to think about it. Well, no, really, there's, there's just one thought you need to have. Uh, one, have I ever been baptized <laughs> since believing in Jesus? And two, what's stopping me from being baptized right now? Those are the two questions that, that, that you need. We often ask all sorts of other, well, well what if some, somebody wanted, so-and-so wanted to be there and so all this stuff. Um, but here's the deal. Like many of us even have been baptized as children. Uh, and we believe in being baptized as, as adults. We believe in being baptized with, with your own decision and not just sprinkled with your parents. I mean, it's good if your parents sprinkled you and dedicated you to the Lord. That's, that's nice. But when, when you grow up, we believe that you have to make your own decision and you got to take responsibility for your own life and be baptized for yourself. And, and really, as, 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 as a dad, I, as, as a father, I need to lead my family. Uh, as men in the church, we need to lead, lead our families in this. As mothers, we need to lead our kids in this. And, and even as kids, kids wanting to be baptized, kids can be baptized as well. It's really just a matter of getting up. When I was baptized, I was baptized at seven years old. And um, for me, it was totally my own decision. I, I, I was saved when I was six. I watched a Willie George video. Um, also, Gospel Bill was his other moniker. And uh, I watched a video in kids' church, six years old, and uh, he, he did a sermon illustration. And uh, he said, basically said that God could take sin out of my life. And I said, I want that. And so <clears throat> I went forward and prayed. My, my, my cousin Tracy prayed with me there at the altar. My family was really involved in church. And so I knew a lot about God, even at a young age. Um, and it wasn't, it didn't take long, uh, about, about a year of going to prayer meetings and stuff. Um, and I went to this, we would go to prayer meetings every Sunday night. We have prayer meeting, a church of a couple hundred people. And I was really shy. I was really quiet. Um, you probably can't tell it now, but, um, <laughs> I naturally am very shy. People think that's a joke when I say that, but it's true. Um, I, I'm naturally very, 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 very introverted. And so I would go find a quiet place to pray. And I, I, I found this little A-frame sign. It was wooden and, um, I, I could squeeze, I could hide down in it and like crouch in it, you know, and pray. And so I was just kind of talking to God and I was seven years old, crouched down behind the sign. And I think I kind of drifted off to sleep, um, which is what seven-year-olds do sometimes. I remember I was thinking a lot about Super Mario Brothers because I just got Super Mario Brothers. And so that was big time on my mind, you know, and um, I fell asleep there behind the the, the, the A-frame sign. And when I was sleeping, I had this vision of, of Jesus. And um, at the time, I was I was learning karate because that's what you do when you're a seven-year-old male. Um, you want to you wanna kill things or kick things or punch things. Like, you just karate, you know, so I was, I was learning, you know, karate, and um, one of the things that they had just taught us was that when you go up to a fight, like there's certain stuff, so you're supposed to, when you, when you meet your opponent, you're supposed to, you're supposed to face them like this, and then you're supposed to like bow like that, and then, and then like get ready to fight, you know, and so uh, they, but they also taught us that if you meet your opponent, and if for some reason, like you, like you don't want to fight, you don't see the need to fight, or something like that, then there was this hand sign, there's this hand signal, I think it was something, it was like one palm up like this, one palm down like that it was a hand signal that meant you know i'd like we don't we like we don't need to fight we can resolve this some other way and in my vision of jesus like jesus comes walking forward and he gives me he gives me that hand signal he tells me basically harry i don't want to fight with you and i'm seven years old you know and that just spoke to me so deeply and i I woke up and i was just like you know i was just crying you know because i was getting emotional because and because anytime like i feel the spirit of god i always get emotional and and, um so i went and told my mom and went and told the pastor and i think he thought i was just dreaming something i don't know he he got hung up on the super mario brothers and figured it wasn't spiritual but (laughs) 
But I had this, I had, I had this vision of Jesus that basically said, Harry, I don't want to fight with you. Now, I'd already been saved. I'd already given my heart to Jesus. I asked him to come into my life. Um, but he said, look, you're, like, you're seven years old. You're going to be growing up. You're going to be going through all sorts of changes. And I don't want to fight with you. And so my, my quest at that point began to be, how do I live a life that doesn't fight with God? How do I live so I'm not like, you know, duking it out with Jesus and kind of running and then coming back? And like, how do I, how do, I do that? And, and uh, I was seven years old and I figured prayer was a good thing. Reading the Bible was a good thing. So I, I learned some of those things. And, and then we were at a baptism service and my pastor, Pastor Cletus Snellenberger, try spelling that, um, Snellenberger, that's like 13 words or something, 55 syllables. And uh, he, he stood up and he said, hey, you know, we're, we're having a baptism tonight. If you want to, if, if God's calling you to be baptized, you know, you need to go down to the basement, go to this little two-minute class, blah, blah, blah. And um, I just felt, like in my spirit, I just felt like that's the next step. That's what I need to do. And so I turned to my mom. I still remember what she was wearing. And I said, mom, I think I need to be baptized. And she's like, okay, well, do you want to go down like by yourself? And and I said, yeah, yeah, I'll go down, which was really rare for me because I was really a mama's boy and all that kind of stuff. And so anyway, so I went, so <laughs> we won't stay on that. But I went down into the basement and uh, sat in their little class. I don't remember anything they said because it was like way over my head. Um, I, I, I put on this little white robe, you know. I went up the steps, came out on the stage. Like there's all these people there. I was terrified. And uh, they asked me to come step down into the, you know, so I, I walked down in the pool and, there, and Pastor Cletus is like, all right, Harry J., how about you say your name and stuff? They call me Harry J. because I'm a junior. And um, so, so I, I just went up to the mic and I just said, I just love Jesus with all my heart and I just think I should be baptized. And so then I was like, dunk, you know, and I came out of the water. And, um, and I can't say that like I, I saw Jesus when I came out of the water or there was anything like that. But what I've, what I've learned, what I've learned is that, is that the, the, the distance between my chair and the baptistry was the same distance between like my office at Promised Land and right here, like like my uh, just put it put it in perspective that the the distance of obedience from my chair to the water is the same distance um, for every other thing that God asked me to do, for every other sacrifice God asked me to make from from not dating when I was twelve to studying Greek to to staying up late getting up early to planting this church to having to having Madden we were happy just not having kids and God told us to have kids every single thing that we have done where it's been like I really don't want to do that but but I feel something inside of me and when I when I step out like what I was learning at age seven was not how to get wet I was learning how to not fight with Jesus I was learning how to be filled with the Holy Spirit because when, 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 when it's, the, the, the water itself doesn't have any magical potion in it, but your obedience to get in the water in front of people and get like all wet and jacked up, you know, <laughs> that says something. That is what it costs to walk with God. That is what it costs. That's the cost. I mean, you can raise your hand and believe in Jesus, but you will constantly be going like this until you make that decision that whatever he says, my response is going to be yes. That if he says I ought to do it, then even if I don't understand it, I'm doing it. Even if, I don't, even if I'm just seven years old and I'm like, I really don't know how that's going to help. I'm going to do it because God is telling me to do it. I'm going to get up. I don't have to get ready. I don't have to get right. I don't have to get pure. I don't have to fix my life. Like, you don't have to get skinny before you go to the gym. You know what I'm saying? 
like, like seriously, like you don't have to get to, if, if, if you're overweight, you, they allow overweight people into the gym. But so many people wait until they get skinny before they go. No, the reason you're going to the gym is to get skinny. Okay, fine. Maybe, maybe some of you guys don't, don't believe that. But it's true. Like, look, look, look. If, if you're, if, 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 okay, if, 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 if there's a homeless person, like, 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 he doesn't have to clean himself up to go to the job interview. He's going to the job interview so that he can live a life where he can clean himself up. If, 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 if every homeless person waited till they had a clean shower before they went to a job interview, they would stay homeless. You have to accept the situation that you're in and realize that I got to at least try. I got to at least stand up and do something. I got to at least move from where I'm at because at least, you know, going forward, there's, there's no, there's no, like the power that you're waiting for is found when you obey. The power that you're waiting to live the life that you're wanting to live is found when you obey and when you, when you identify with Christ's death. Really, when you stand up and come forward and that, that walk, that's crucifixion. <laughs> that's death to yourself. Cause you're gonna get wet and your makeup's gonna go and your hair's gonna be all jacked up and you know, uh, like, you, and your clothes are gonna like cling to you, you know, and it's gonna be super flattering and it's, it's, uh, <laughs> If that's death to self. That's like, I don't get this. I'm going to have to dry off and use their crappy hairspray and all this kind of But, you know, and, 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 and clean underwear, though. It's all clean. It's very clean. But that's death to self. That's like, I don't want to do this, but I'm going to do it. That's where you identify with Christ's crucifixion. And then when we lower you into the water, when we, we, lower, we lower you under this water, what we're doing is we are, we are, you're identifying with Christ's burial. That's having a funeral for your past self. That's inviting all your friends and family to the funeral for who you used to be. And, and that's why, that's why like, you don't baptize yourself, right? Like the process is the pastor, not because I'm like special or whatever, but, but I'm symbolic of something. So the pastor lowers you under the water because it has to be God that lowers your old self. It has to be, you can't do it in your own power. You can get up there, you can, by your own power, you can stand up, but it has to be the power of the Holy Spirit that, that takes you down under the water. You don't rise to greatness with God, you sink to it. And so it has to be the power of the Holy Spirit to allow your flesh to sink and then leave it there. And when you come up out of the water, that's, that's a, a new life. And you see it instantly. You see it instantly on your face. The water washes off the makeup that you've tried to put on to make yourself prettier than God made you. You see it in your hair. And the hairspray, the gel, that, of course for me this is pretty good, I got the ponytail, but, but the hairspray and the gel that you tried to fix in a certain way, that all goes away. Because that's when you realize like all this stuff that you've added to yourself, you don't need it. It's not necessary. In the resurrection, it's not necessary. All the stuff we've added to this world in the resurrection, it's not necessary. And when God restores this world, we're not going to need walls and gates and locks on our doors. Because it's not necessary. We're not going to need hairspray and gel. Because it's not necessary. We're going to see people for who they are, not for who we want to present to other people who we are. Because all that stuff's not... That's, that's all insecurity. That's all fear. That's all, that's all fear-based it's all, it's all external. It's not necessary. And so unnecessary stuff begins washing off, not just your physical body, but your, your life. And you realize that that relationship might not be necessary. That, mode, that, that, that addiction is not necessary.
Right now you're addicted because it's necessary. Because your heart hasn't been healed. So you've got to escape somewhere. It's necessary to you. But when your heart is healed, you don't need that addiction anymore. It's not necessary. It washes away. It just You don't need to put up with that abuse anymore because it's not necessary. Because you're not getting anything out of it anymore because your heart's healed. And so that's my invitation to you. We have, obviously I can preach for another three hours, but we have a, a video for you just, just to show you of some folks in our church that have been baptized. And, um, af- and, 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 and actually, um, immediately after that video, I'm going to ask you to stand up. And if you're, you're ready to be baptized, you go on to the back. Um, and um, if the band can come out and get ready um, during the video. But um, let's show this video and just, I just want to encourage you with some other people's stories, not just mine.